Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. of grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm hanging out and podcasting with my good buddy, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. It has always, always so such a privilege to be here. I'm glad you're here too. Today we've got a question. Yeah, we're going to keep with our trend the last three or four weeks of answering these questions that came in. I enjoy this. Me too. This is what I was born for. The question is can you help me understand John 3 16? And the answer is, oh, yeah, we can help you understand oh, yeah. John 3.16 like you've never understood it before. We can go through it and you'll have a clear understanding of it. But the one thing is, it has to be taken in context of the larger passage. You can't just pull that one verse out by itself and then start making it anything you want. So we will be reading the whole passage about what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in the middle of the night. I agree. It's probably one of the most quoted verses I've seen. Definitely. I think it is the most famous verse. Even non-Christians know it. Yeah, I remember that guy with the rainbow wig be at all the football games holding up the John 316. Yeah. yeah. How he got those great tickets to be Did, spotted everywhere. Didn't Tim Tebow have it under his eyes? Tim Tebow had yeah. it under his eyes, John 316. And I think he actually, the playoff game, one of his last games, he threw for 316 yards and <laughs> he threw it just enough passes that his average was 3.16 yards. It was pretty cool. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I never heard that one before. But, yeah, really, John 3.16 should be called the football verse. It is. It's it's the sports verse. It's probably on 90% of chick tracks. and But we do want to give you explanation of it that you may not have heard. Yeah, I, I tend to doubt it because we pretty much go over it with a fine-tooth comb. We're, we're going to make sure we're true to the Greek original language first off so we know what we're reading accurately, that it goes accurately with, with the Greek language. 
first. Because sometimes it does get wrested out of context. <laughs> oh, 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 The rest of the I'm word. sorry. I used, <laughs> used the big it, word. I huh? used the big word. Yeah. Someone yeah. used it on me and I've been waiting. Right. Okay, so I think what I should do is just start reading what Jesus was telling Nicodemus after Jesus had told him you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God and everything. And Nicodemus was saying, how can I be born again? And Jesus was telling him pretty clearly, except for since the concept had never been heard before, even though Jesus was telling him pretty clearly that spirit gives birth to spirit and it's your spirit that's going to cause you to be born from above, but they still weren't recognizing. Nicodemus still wasn't recognizing what Jesus was saying, even though it actually is pretty clear. Jesus said, humans give birth to humans and spirit gives birth to the spirit that is inside of you, each and every one of you who is a believer. It's it's Paul's whole theology. Yes. You died, your life is hid with Christ. Yes. You, you died, you died. He says it over and over. He's talking about a spiritually dead person that needs to be born. The spirit needs to be made alive again. So I'm going to pick up in John 3.10 because Nicodemus was not quite getting the picture that Jesus was telling him. And Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, Are you a teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we bear witness of, and we have seen, and you do not receive our witnesses. He says, I single say we speak we speak we speak our witness plural how can one person singular be talking in the plural it's because of he's got the father in him peter no not peter is his witness who 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 did he say have you seen me for so long you still don't know me it was either thomas or peter it was one of the two He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Father is in me doing the Father's business. Well, when he's in the plural, he's talking about him and the Father who is in him in spiritual form. So he goes on to say, I told you about earthly things, and you do not believe. How shall you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So he's saying to Nicodemus, I can't tell you about all these heavenly things because you can't seem to believe in what it means to be born from above, which is an earthly thing where Christ is placed in you through the gospel and you have the spirit of God now living in you through the gospel, through somebody presenting the gospel. He's saying, if I can't tell you this and you believe this earthly thing, I'm not going to tell you about heavenly things, about how I go up to the third heaven and shed my blood on the cross and I ask the Father to send down the Holy Spirit, all those things. He says, 
you, you're you're never going to believe those. But once again, he he does the double amen, or the barely, barely, or truly, truly. It's it's one of those unique aspects of the Gospel of John where he says, "Amen, amen." I I tell you the absolute truth because I know you're not going to understand what I'm saying. It's going to blow your mind, but I'm just telling you this even though you don't understand these things, as he said to Nicodemus, they're absolutely true. You must be born again. Yes, yes. And so Jesus go goes on and says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, me, the son of man. And as Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent, in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believing into him may have eternal life he says I've got to be lifted up on a cross because I have to pay for everybody's sin debt I have to leave what is known as the human nature or the flesh in the grave and circumcise everybody in God's eyes from that flesh so that they are now a clean vessel and whoever is, and here's where we're going to have to start getting into the Greek because I'm looking at verse 15. Whoever is believing, present tense, believing not I believed one time and I got saved that was my salvation I'm headed to heaven it's not saying that at all here it is saying whoever is believing at this moment continually believing in the moment believing in the moment believing whoever is believing at that time should not perish but have eternal life Here we go again with more Greek. It's the middle passive voice should not... Let's explain. Do you want to explain what middle passive voice is about being in the oven? There's a passive voice and an active voice. Active voice is the simple one. The boy hit the ball. Yes. Passive voice is the ball hit the boy. In Greek, there's a unique verb translation called the middle voice and it's like it says in the middle of active and passive the explanation that I read underneath the definition explains it better than the definition to right. me right. and it was the lasagna baked in the oven and it's a that would be a middle voice baked would be a middle voice it means the lasagna is not in the oven, like cooking itself, and the lasagna is not passively being cooked. It's participating in the cooking by means of the oven. The oven, the oven is actively cooking the lasagna, and the lasagna is actively being cooked. In other words, the oven is causing the lasagna to actively cook. Yes. And that's called middle voice. That's called middle voice. That's what they mean when it's perishing. They're not 
causing themselves to perish and they're in a, a sphere, that's not the right word, they're, they're in a situation where they are being caused to perish at that moment. Remember, we are talking about continual present tense. They are perishing, not because of themselves, but because of a, a principle of law, like the law of dynamics, the law of gravity. They are perishing because they're not experiencing eternal life. And just, that's, just like the Romans 7, sin sprang to life and I died, his middle voice dying. He's, I died is not me actively dying, and it's not passively dying. It's, it's as a result of the sin springing to life and producing death. Oh, that was a perfect analogy because that's what it was. I'm perishing. I'm dying. Middle voice, just like in Romans 7. Middle voice. The one believing in him shall not perish, but have eternal life or Ionian Zoe. Yes. The one who is actively believing at that moment is not perishing because of this law of dynamics that makes it perish, but it is, get a load of this, you guys, and you'll have to remember John 17, 3, where Jesus defines what eternal life is. It says that he wouldn't perish, but he would have eternal life. In John 17, 3, it says this is eternal life that they experience God. Experiencing God is what eternal life means in the book of John. In the book of John, which doesn't use the analogy of being in the kingdom of God like Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, he uses the analogy of eternal life, but he defines the analogy of eternal life in John 17, 3, saying that eternal life is experiencing God. I'm going to give you the definition of eternal life, which is experiencing God. That's how I, Jesus, define it. So when he's saying he should not be in this state of perishing because second by second he's believing in God, he's experiencing God. That's why he's not perishing, because he's experiencing God. He is experiencing eternal life instead of the feeling of perishing, which should we, I think since we opened up the can of worms, we should go to Romans 7 just for a few seconds. Yeah, and I would just say to your point, uh, there's at least 10 or 11 examples of what you just said, of experiencing eternal life in the Gospel of John that are unique to that Gospel that aren't in Matthew, Mark. Well, they're the same thing, but... Right, I know. They call it kingdom age life, which is Ionian Zoe. Yes. Life of the uh, ages. Life of the age to come, which is what he said in Genesis when Adam ate the apple. He said, should he experience the life of the age or should I put a guard in front of the kingdom so he can't experience the life of the age and he put angels in front of Eden 
to keep him out because he didn't want him to experience the life of age when he was so feeling so guilty. Right. Just as he didn't want him to experience, he could have eaten the tree of life, which is the life of the ages, uh, right from the start, but he would never know this experience of not having that life. And you have to know that experience to have an appreciation of knowing that life. Yes, yes. So let's go to Romans 7 just for a few minutes to get a, a handle on what it says. He shall not be perishing, but have eternal life. This is what Jesus is meaning when he says not be perishing. Let's go to Romans 7 and start in verse 9. Let's start in 7 verse 9 because we're trying to get a handle on how Jesus is using the word shall not perish. Romans 7 9, it says, And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment was was to result in life, resulted in death for me. For sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. He's saying, through the commandment, I died. Just like the commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve saying, don't eat of that fruit because in that day you will surely die. Well, in that day, they surely felt naked and ashamed and were afraid to come near God. And that was the death that they died, that overwhelming, depressing feeling of guilt. And this is saying the same thing. Don't put yourself under the law as a New Testament Christian And he says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin sprang to life and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me, for sin taking the opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. It made me feel so horrible about myself that it's a form of death And that's what he means about perishing, not perished. He didn't die. He didn't perish. And that's the end of him. He's perishing. It is a continual thing that he is feeling, this feeling like death warmed over. Like it's present tense in Romans 7. He's presently dying. Dying. Adam was presently dying in, in Genesis 3. And in John 3.16, this person is presently, presently dying. dying. That, that's why in First Timothy 3.6 or 5.6, it can say this woman is not living for prayers and supplications, but she's living for wanton pleasure. She is dead even while she lives. How can you be dead while you live unless there's an alternate definition of death? She feels miserably guilty even though she lives. It's one of the ways in which death is used 
And it is actually the way in which death is used in John 3.16. See, I told you we were going to give you a complete understanding of this passage, nuance by nuance, but you will have a clear understanding of this passage. He didn't, those who are believing continually are not perishing, but they are experiencing God. They are experiencing eternal life. Just like the Genesis 3, it's literally in dying you, you shall, shall die. die. Exactly. Good you, point. You will end up dead. You will end up dead. Let me give maybe one more analogy that Jesus might have used, or he started all these analogies. Paul just used them after Jesus laid the foundational teaching. But Paul in Romans 8, 5, 6, 7, he says, the mind of the flesh is death. That's the human mind. The mind of the human nature is death but the mind of the spirit is life and peace, is this Zoe life, which we saw those who are believing are expressing the mind of the spirit and they are experiencing the eternal life, which is they are experiencing God's life through them, causing them to be the believer at that moment because don't think for a minute that, or don't depend on for a minute yourself to be constantly believing and not a doubter because you will fall short. You all of a sudden started doubting. Does that mean you lost your eternal life? No, no. It means you're in the flesh. It means you're in the flesh. It's a, a whole new, new covenant concept and it relates to John 3.16 about the mind of the flesh is death and the mind of the spirit is life and peace. That's the mind of the spirit. If they're living by the spirit, they're believing. If they're living by the flesh, they're perishing. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And we take it the traditional way saying, if he's not believing he's going to hell, and if he is believing, he gets to go to heaven. Just a clear blanket statement like that, which has no support in this Greek original language, to tell the truth. He's, he's not on that wavelength. He's not talking about heaven or hell, and we're going to see that become obvious in the next verse. Plus, there's a lot of in the meantime that, what do we do with that? Yeah. Going to heaven someday. But meanwhile, how about we want that life now? Paul called it what, life and peace. Yes. Joy unspeakable. It sounds like something you want. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit. It of is spiritual life, which has its fruit. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He who is believing continually each minute, believing in me is experiencing this life. This Which is exactly what he said in John 17, 3 that you quoted earlier. This is eternal life that you may experience me. Me. Okay, so let's go on to the next verse because it's going to turn a corner for us. 
Okay, so now we're picking up in John 3, 17. For God, this is Jesus speaking, for God did not send the Son into the world to what? To judge the world, but to save the world through Jesus. He who believes in Jesus is not judged, he who does not believe, and that's continually believing, not you believe one day and you, you marked it down in your Bible the day you were saved. This is continually believing. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So he says, God did not send me in the world to judge the world, but to save the world. And he says, the one who doesn't believe is already judged. But do you know what the next verse says? This is the judgment. And he's going to explain in the clearest of terms exactly what the judgment is. And it all relates to John 3.16. And this is the judgment in John 3.19, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds are evil. So Jesus is saying, I have come into the world. I am the light of the world. I am the one who lives in you and does for you what you can't do for yourselves. And they say, but these men did not love the light because it showed that their deeds were evil. Their deeds, and if, if, if you compared Steve to Bill on any given day, you could say Steve's deeds were evil and Bill's weren't evil. But when we're comparing to God, compared to God, man's deeds are evil. We do not make the mark. All our righteousness is as a filthy rag. We do not make the mark. And it's, so it says, And he is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. This is the judgment that the light came into the world Men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. This is the judgment. I'm saying, I'm judging that you guys who love darkness, you won't come to the light because your deeds will be exposed. That's what I'm judging. I'm saying you, you won't come to the light so that your deeds be exposed. But then what does it say? But he who practices the truth, what is the truth? God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Abide in me and I abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In me, you can bear fruit. 
those who practice that truth, it's not me bearing the fruit, but it's Jesus in me bearing the fruit. And you can just read it and see for yourself that that's what we're talking about. Those who practice the truth do what? They come to the light that their deeds may be manifested as having been done in God. The people that say, it's Christ in me doing these good deeds, like the apostles when they healed the people in the book of Acts and everybody started worshiping the, the disciples and they said, hey, it wasn't us or our piety that got this man healed. It was God glorifying his son in us and it was the faithfulness of his son in us that got this man healed. That's practicing the truth, saying it's not me who's doing the good, but it's God in me doing the good. That is what the judgment is about. Those who believe in their own human effort and do not believe in the name of God, we're going to see what happens at the judgment day. They're going to be embarrassed. They're going to feel like a guy who's just run out of a house naked but they're going to be embarrassed because they felt that they were doing the deeds, not Jesus in them. They didn't say it's the name of Jesus doing these deeds in me. That's who you want to talk to. His name is Jesus and he's in me and he is the one doing these deeds. This is what the judgment is because that's what Jesus said in, in John 17, 317. This is the judgment that the people with evil deeds love the darkness and don't come to the light because it shows that their deeds are as filthy rags and those who practice the truth come running to the light so it shows that what they did was done by the power of God. That is the judgment. Who did the deeds? Who is getting credit for the deeds? It's not a matter of like I thought all, all along that Oh, I'm being judged. I'm going to hell. Too simplistic. It, it, it's just not saying that. His words wouldn't allow me to say that once I studied his words. So, so being judged is is perishing. It, it's having your your deeds burned up, but believing in him or trusting in him to do for you what you can't do for yourself is. Those believing they're experiencing his life, his experienced life in them is doing the good deeds and they count. They are practicing the truth. They are saying, it's not me, it's the eternal life in me. They're having that moment by moment eternal life. They're believing in the name of God moment by moment. It's God living in me. It's God living in me. It's God living in me continually. Moment by moment, it's God living in me, doing the good. He does the good through me. I don't do the good. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. And we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 3, which is well, where... I ask a question? Yes. I just want to say it's where we're going to take a crystal clear look at this judgment that Jesus was talking about. Can we say that believing and depending and trusting all mean the same thing? And they all end up, believing, trusting, and depending all end up 
experiencing his life. His life and knowing it, not taking credit for it, yeah. Because a lot of those people are experiencing the life of Jesus and they don't even know it. They're taking the credit for it. They think it's their righteousness and Jesus said, clearly your righteousness is as a filthy rag to me. Literally a... <laughs> we won't say it. We won't but say no it. wonder Paul said, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Not, I, I finally licked this sin problem. Right, right. And that was right after he said, who will help me quit sinning? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. You know, sin in its simple, simplest definition means to miss the mark. Yeah. Which is Mark happens to be perfection. Sinning is missing the mark. Sinning is trying in your human effort to do what only God's life can do through you and in you. Exactly. That's the truth of the matter, and that's practicing the truth. The truth is that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of man. He is the life of man, and he is the goodness of man. And he, you would depending on yourself, is perishing, or dead works. Dead works is a good way to put it, yeah. You're producing dead works, like it says in Hebrews. There's nothing about the effort mentioned there. It's just the, the source of the effort. If it's flesh, no matter how hard you try in your flesh, it produces death. It misses the mark every time. It produces dead works. We, we should actually look at that passage. Actually, I think I know well enough to allude to it. It is Hebrews 6, 1 that said, we should not lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works. We don't want to have to repent from doing dead works again. We want to make sure that all our works are done in Christ and not through the dead man Adam or the human nature or the mind of the flesh which is death producing dead works like it says in Romans 6 that it produced dead works it aroused by the law produced dead works there, there's a theme in there in the New Testament I, I won't say it's replete but it's over and over and over again about this idea of dead works and death and not producing life through your works. You have to produce the life of God to produce life in your works. Could you say that Paul in Romans 7 said, sin sprang to life and I died? Had to be the embarrassment kind of death, unless he wrote 9, 10 through 16 before he wrote 8 and handed it to someone. Right, 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 yeah. He, How is he writing he about? Died. He didn't die. He says he died, and then he wrote about dying. Right. So it obviously can't be he his heart stopped beating. And it's a good point, Bill. It's a good point. It and that's means, what the word perish yeah means. Right. It means that in John three sixteen, whoever doesn't believe in him is going to hell. Definitely doesn't mean that. Jesus no. is trying to tell us something about. Remember, he said. I'm going to tell you about earthly things and not heavenly things. He's saying, I'm telling you about the earthly judgment, the judgment that's in 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to look at it right now. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 
starting in verse 8. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another built upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of the new covenant is Jesus Christ did the works through me. That's what a doer is. And we could go into a podcast about the hearer and the doer. The doer's like a man who built his foundation on the rock, not sand. And this is saying, be careful how you build your foundation. Build it on the rock. Who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. He's saying, build your foundation on the rock. In other words, give the credit to Jesus. Practice the truth. It wasn't me doing it, all those good things you saw, but it was Jesus in me doing it. Because it says, now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, what sort it is. So here's the day that Jesus was talking about. He said, this is the day when the people with evil deeds won't come to the light because the light will expose that what has been done has been done by God. Here we are at the first Corinthians judgment seat and it's saying that day that the light shows that everything's been done by God burns these words and test them to see if they're wood, hay, and stubble or fine jewelry. And if what Christ did through you and you gave him the credit for is the costly jewelry that makes it through the fire. And it says, if any man's works remain, he shall receive the rewards. And, and he won't be embarrassed like the people who thought they're their righteousness was better than a filthy rag. And it says, if any man's work is built, burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved as yet through fire. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to judge it. I came in to save it. And these people are saved, but the judgment is that they thought they were doing the works when it was Christ in them doing the works and the people who were practicing the truth came right to the light, right to this fire to get his works tested so that it would be clearly seen that they have been done by God through them. And the ones that hate the light and do not practice the truth they are embarrassed on this day because it says all their works will be burned up, but they shall be saved, but as yet through fire. Just like coming out of a burning building naked and your nakedness is showing and you are 
totally embarrassed. That's why you never wanted to come to the light anyway. See, the judgment is only that Christ did the works through you, and if you're practicing the truth, you get rewarded for it. You didn't do the works yourself, and if you're believing that you did, then the judgment is, no, you didn't. God did. That's the judgment right there. You were wrong, buddy. That, that's the judgment. No, you didn't. God did. No, you didn't. God did. That's the judgment. That's the judgment that he described, and you can read it for yourself because it's right there. Tell me if it doesn't say that that's not the judgment. And you see, in this is what it means, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, to the Jew, I became like one under the law. To the person that had no law, I became like a person that has no law, even though I myself am under the law of Christ. Well, the law of Christ is I give Christ the credit and it stores up treasures in heaven for me. And at the end of time, I come running to the light saying, God did all this through me. Where are my rewards? And the other people run from the light because they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to hear, no, you didn't. I did it all through you. Isn't that example after example where Jesus says, and you'll come to me and say, didn't we play the dirge for you? And didn't we cast out demons in your name? And I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never experienced you. I wasn't working through you. I didn't do those things through you. On and on it goes with examples like this through the New Testament. And they're all built on an understanding of John 3.16 and following. John 3.16 is, if I be lifted up on the cross, I'll draw all men to myself. I will circumcise them from their flesh and make them clean vessels for me to live in. Then I will live in them and they can experience eternal life or they can experience human life, which equates with death. They can experience either one, and when they are believing, it means they're showing me. When you're believing, you're actually manifesting the life and the faithfulness of God. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that's lived in this body is lived by the faithfulness of the Son of God the faithfulness of the Son of God, not the faithfulness of Paul. He could have said that. I'm alluding to Galatians chapter 2. He could have said that, but he said, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. He gave the credit to God for doing it through him. That's what is called practicing the truth. That is what is called is living under the law of Christ, or as James calls it, speak and act as those who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom, the freedom from sin and death, which was your verse that you wanted to quote a little while ago, the, the spirit of life in Christ set me free from the law of sin and death. If that, you look at it, the law as a principle. Yeah. 
as a principle. And it's, it's saying the John three sixteen. And and in James it looks as the law is a principle, the one who looks intently into that law and imbibes in it, he's the doer, but the one who looks at his natural face in the mirror and forgets what kind of person he is, he's the forgetful hearer. You remember Jesus saying, be a doer or a hearer? The doer's like the man who built the foundation on the rock. It's all saying, don't look at your natural face in the mirror and try to be the doer. Let Jesus be the doer through you. So the forgetful man that's not the doer, he forgets that apart from Jesus, he can do nothing. But the effectual doer is the one that looks into the law of freedom. The perfect law of the freedom, which is another word for the law of the spirit of the life in Christ. And he doesn't forget it. He's blessed in all his doing. He's the blessful doer. Yeah, he's the doer of the word. That's why Paul said, be careful how you build. As a wise master builder, because of the grace God gave me, I say to each man, be careful how you build. You can't lay a foundation other than the one which is always already laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's the foundation for being called a doer. If he's doing it through you, then you are called a doer. If you think you are doing it, then you're not practicing the truth and you're actually the forgetful hearer in James chapter 2. You can read it. That's the forgetful hearer, not the doer. That's the one who who says God is doing it through me. He's the one who practiced the truth and comes to the light and the judgment is, yes, you're right, I did do it through you. Or the one who doesn't want to come to the light because he thought he was doing it his judgment is going to be, no, you didn't. It was me doing it through you. That's all the judgment is. It's just, no, you did. You were wrong. You were wrong. You made a mistake. You thought you did it. You were wrong. And as First Corinthians shows, your works are not. So back to the, the John three sixteen, and we can go over it. it. It's really the context is a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And he, the first point he makes out is you don't, you are Israel's teachers, you're a Pharisee, you know your Bible, and you don't know these things, because this, this is something that the Spirit had to reveal to Nicodemus, has to reveal to everyone. This is a, a spiritual concept. And so, can you just pick it up at, at after he explains Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because that's what he—that's the beginning of John chapter three. It's all got to be in context of the chapter as a whole because he starts off the chapter with Nicodemus coming to him in the middle of the night, and he says, "Truly, truly, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God." And Nicodemus says, "What do you mean? Can I be?" put back in my mother's womb and he says Nicodemus truly truly amen amen I'm telling you that you must be born from above to enter the kingdom of God and he he said right right before that Nicodemus says for no one could do the miraculous things you were doing unless God was 
with him or in him. That's right. And Jesus is carrying that that argument to its, that thought to its logical conclusion. Right. He's saying, now you see, you have to be born again. You have to have God with you or God in you. And then you can do the same miraculous things. That's why Jesus says, we speak about what we see and heard. And I tell you these things where he used the dove. Me and the spirit speak about this. And then it all comes through my mouth. So I told you that, Nicodemus. And I told you that I got to go to the cross to prepare everybody to be a vessel that I live in. And then those who are believing continually are manifesting me which to manifest me is to manifest eternal life. And then and, he gives them the illustration. He says, Nicodemus, it's being born of the Spirit is it's like the wind. You don't actually see the wind. You see the manifestation of, of the wind. Yes. And that's what it is to be born of the Spirit. You don't actually see the Spirit, but you do see the manifestation of the Spirit doing only what God can do. Only what God can do. But you, if you get a hold of this concept about what it is to be born again and the fact that it's God working through you, you can literally begin to see and know that you are experiencing God. That is the cool thing about the new covenant. You can experience God. You can see God now. You can talk with God through each other. That's why Paul said, if there's any fellowship in the spirit, not in human nature, not human nature, fellowshipping with human nature, but spirit fellowshipping with spirit, you can fellowship with the spirit when somebody's in the spirit. And that's all part of this new covenant teaching it's all too glorious, and there's so much to it. We'll, we'll end now with this explanation of John 3.16. Hopefully it makes sense. If you have to listen to it a couple times, it, it, it's okay, because there's a lot of words that we use that people are unfamiliar with, and that they're new covenant words. And so you got to keep in mind that he's... He's talking, he's addressing the mind of a Pharisee. And the mind of a Pharisee is never God is present. He's always, there's always a great gulf between you and God. And you have to do enough good things to get to God, which you could never do. That's why the Pharisees could not stand Jesus because he rejected them, but he was at face-to-face fellowship with the sinners because he could work in them. Jesus wasn't afraid to hang out with the worst of the worst that the Pharisees saw because he had this tremendous confidence that his love and acceptance could persuade them. But a person that thinks they can do enough to please God, his love cannot persuade them until their works are all burned up and that they see there was no way possible for them to get from where they were to where God is Once they get that concept out of their mind, that was the purpose of judging them. You could never do any enough good things to to earn my acceptance. I already accept you. I already loved you. 
but I gave you the law to show you that you can never earn this love and never earn this acceptance. Amen, Bill. And, and then you then you get to see that, that that was the whole purpose of giving the law to to operate in this love. See, you can depend on God when you feel accepted. You can depend on God when you feel loved. And when you love people because you know you're loved by God, just think you don't steal from people that you love. You don't kill people that you love. You don't commit adultery with people that you love. And if there are any other commandment, it is fulfilled in this one word that you love one another. And we love because he first loved us. And that's part of the process of knowing your love and acceptance is Give, putting no confidence in you ever earning that acceptance or earning that love. And that's what John three seventeen, I guess, is, is all about. That's the judgment, that you can never do enough to be accepted and never do enough to be loved. But I didn't come to judge you. I came to save you. I came to give you my life. Yes, yes. And there's so much more that we have to say about this, but we will in the coming podcast. Do you want to close us in prayer? Yes. Father God, thank you so much for John 3.16. Thank you that you did that, that you gave your life for us so you could give our life, your life to us, so that we could depend on your life in us to bear good fruit. All I can say is thank you, God, that the John 3.16 is is really about experiencing your life, not about not going to heaven when I die. And I don't mean to break bubbles, but that's what it's about. We can experience your eternal life now, moment by moment. Show this to us, reveal this to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Good night, you guys. We, we love you, and I hope we didn't burst too many bubbles by just going through verse by verse exactly what John chapter 3 says. I, I hope we didn't. We sure, sure wasn't our intent. So no. we love you. Good night. Good night, everyone. We love you. <laughs>